The gates to the Rose Garden are now open. Welcome to my world. You are listening to Talk That Talk with Danielle Moneyham, a reflective conversation where I share the lessons I've learned on this journey called life. I don't have all the answers, but I do have plenty of questions. My name is Danielle Moneyham, and this is my love letter to the world, where I let my soul speak. Let's talk. Hey, it's Danielle, and welcome to the show. This week, I joined a Facebook group uh, for women of color podcasters, and I was going through the list of all of these women with their podcast projects. I was overwhelmed by the brilliance, and then I came across one podcast called Seriously America, a phrase that I know that I have uttered under my breath and aloud for a lot for a long time but there was actually a podcast dedicated to asking these questions and I'm so excited to welcome one of the hosts of Seriously America. Hello Quay. Hi there Danielle. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and I'm so glad that you found us and I'm glad that you relate because that's where how the show was founded. My co-host and I Taylor Carnes, we've been friends for a really long time. We work together. Um, And she's just amazing. But we just found ourselves texting each other articles. And can I curse? Yes. Yes, you can. Okay. Okay, cool. So we we found ourselves just texting each other articles and headlines back and forth and saying, what the fuck? Like, just repeatedly over and over. And most of these things weren't new to us, but we thought that other people needed to know more topics that make you wonder seriously and we wanted to dive into them and explore and share that with our friends because I'm that person at the party who's you know well actually (laughs) um, we like to compare our show to um, Adam Conover's Adam Ruins Everything. I love Adam Ruins Everything. I love Adam Ruins Everything. (laughs) Yeah so I do too and it's basically a more like polite, kind of a subtle version of Adam Ruins Everything. But we focus on one topic every single episode. Um, and we just ruin the country. Like, the, sh- the country isn't that great. So we don't have to do a lot of work. And the sad thing, the, the sad thing about our show is that when we first started working through the concept, our very first exercise was to write down every single topic that we could possibly cover, right? Mm. We wanted to make sure that the show could be sustainable and last a long time. And we have over 100 episode topics already. And we're on episode eight right now. So seriously, America can last forever. That's the the bad news. But the good news is we are educating people on various topics. People are learning. The best thing that's happened to me with this show is when my friends will text me and say, hey, I was playing your podcast in the car with another friend. They started Googling and, you know, they supported this organization or they donated or they shared the fact or tidbit with someone else. So that just brings me such joy. I and I also share that same connectedness to the I think the reason that you start the podcast is because you want to start these conversations with people and create the space in a safe space where you can present something that if you just walked up to somebody at the party, you know how Adam is treated at um, the party when Adam is ruining everything. Like you can't just approach people with that. But if you create this safe space to explore it and unpack it and ask the questions and look at it from all these different angles, people feel safer and be like, you know what, let, let me think about that too. Because who would have on a regular Tuesday when we're just trying to live our best lives, who would have 
thought like, let me let me really think about all of the factors that led us to where we are in this country today. Like, how did we get here? The state of black people in America, the state of America, the state of how did we get here? Especially now, as we are both socially distancing in our homes across the country, it's hard for people to believe what's real and what's not real. It's hard to know what to believe because historically, we've been fed so many untruths. Right, right. Especially when it comes to medicine. Especially when it comes to black people and medicine in this country recently. Like, not even decades or centuries ago. When you guys first started exploring eugenics and reproductive health, why? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the show, we built up the first 10 episodes together as an exercise. And we both, my co-host and I, Taylor Conference, we submitted topics that we were passionate about. Um, And all of mine were women's issues and reproductive justice issues, um, or just anyone who can make can, you know, make babies with yep. women, uh, non-binary people. And this, these three episodes that we're in the middle of producing right now, we're in the middle of a reproductive justice series. Um, so the first episode is about the eugenics movement from forced, um, from coercion, from coerced sterilization to forced birth. I said that backwards. That was released on April 13th. Um, and it's close to me because I live. I grew up in Alabama, and I'm familiar with all the conspiracy theories. I'm familiar with just like the street gossip and the rumors, and I'm always well actualing people. But this one, it actually did happen in North Carolina. You know, um, and 85 percent of the people who were sterilized in North Carolina were women, and half of them were single women who had given birth to one or more children outside of the marriage and outside of marriage. And that relates to me because my mom had me before she married my dad. So had she, you know, had this been a few years earlier, she would have been one of those people who could have been forcibly coerced into sterilization. So the thing I love about our show though, is that it's not just coming from us because I'm not the smartest person. And I'll tell you that (laughs) in a heartbeat, we interview experts in these topics. So Johanna Schoon, she wrote an amazing book here. Let's see. It is called Choice and Coercion, Birth Control, Sterilization, and Abortion in Public Health and Welfare. And um, she's a professor of history and associate department chair at Rutgers University. And it's a great, great read. There are some excerpts that are available online for free. I loved this episode because we talk about how this campaign targeted immigrants, people of color, poor people, unmarried mother, the disabled, and the mentally ill. And that's what our show is about. We're focusing on these marginalized groups, these underrepresented groups, undersupported groups, and how all of these topics are affecting them. So basically the goal of the eugenics panels, they wanted to throw people off the um, welfare rolls, right? Um, And then they wanted to erase their entire lineage. They would deem someone as, quote, feeble-minded, and say, hey, this woman um, or this man shouldn't have more children. And that's just so crazy to me that as a country and really as a global society, um, this happened in other countries too. This wasn't, this one isn't just unique to America, but this happened not too long ago, not too many generations separate from me, but now we're getting to a place where 
um, politicians and lawmakers are forcing women to give birth. So we made that connection in the episode with Johanna Shum. The last few chapters of her of her book talk about um, forced birth, and you've seen in the news all the heartbeat bills that are coming um, out into pass. And we just made that connection in the episode. And I don't want to give away too much of the episode because I do want people to listen to it. Um, you can find Seriously America wherever you get your podcasts. But the next two episodes connect perfectly. And that's another thing that my co-host did that I just loved when we started the show is every single one of our episodes connect. I don't know how much time you spend on our website, like browsing through the episodes, but at the end of the episode, we give you a fact to kind of tease the next episode and show you how they all connect. So um, we talk about the maternal mortality rate next week. And one thing that these two topics have in common, aside from being reproductive justice issues, is that states have had trouble um, reporting the data being honest in the data. So North Carolina and other states, they tried to delete records from the history of people that they sterilize. But um, our rates of maternal mortality in the United States have risen. We're mm. the only developed country whose rates of maternal mortality um, has, has risen in the last, uh, let's see, from 2000, from 2000 to 2014. Our MMR, maternal mortality rate, increased by 26.6% the only developed nation where that rate went up and where the work, we have the worst maternal mortality rates in the developed world. And we're not hot shit, you know, no. America walks around like we're hot shit. And I just love that quote. America um, is a third world country in a Gucci belt. And like these facts and these figures just prove that repeatedly. And how did we get here? Because that's the question and the challenge for America to be all that America is. And as we ask these questions and we find we get access to the facts and the data and we can look back to see how America was formed and created. Um, yeah. It's like, how did we get here? Because it started, this eugenics movement was not the first attack on women's bodies or black women's bodies or black people from the medical industry right right right. like they used to do surgeries on women's bodies during slavery all the time they did research um on spermicide with the condoms with the women in africa and that's how we found out about it tearing down the the integrity of the vaginal walls which can lead to increased sti transmission so we know that met that the medical industry does not care about black bodies at all but it's hard to really talk about that with fact when you, like you said, the government will erase it, act like it didn't happen, or we never are given the space to talk about it because of that trauma, because it was not yeah. that long ago. If we look back, because your um, the research that you all did for that first episode was based on a situation that was happening in North Carolina, mm -hmm. but we know like across the country, this stuff has happened. Do you or are you comfortable talking about your thoughts on, for example, the Tuskegee study? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like so just to get to like how this is, this country has never cared about black bodies. Yeah, so to say, to paint a broad stroke and say that the country has never cared about black bodies, I wouldn't want to make that statement. 
But I will say that people of color have a right to be suspicious of healthcare and our government. Mm -hmm. They do. We we do have a history and you do have a right to be suspicious. And I hate to um, preview another episode, but I just recently had an interview with um, Dr. Brianna DeQueer. She is uh, one of the founders of My COVID MD. Um, as you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And she spoke about that in detail. Um, the pro- one of the problems that we're having, you know, that Black people are more likely to die because of the current coronavirus. And um, most of them, more of them are being affected than other races because we're the service workers. Um, more of us are in essential positions where they can't always stay at home. Um, the systemic issues of homelessness, um, and food insecurity have made it difficult to practice social distancing. So that's one of, that's one part of it, right? But then another part is once we do get a vaccine, those same people who are more affected by this, uh, coronavirus disease, by this coronavirus COVID-19, they're less likely to take the vaccine because of this history of mistrust for the government and healthcare. So um, their organization, they um, it's called the My COVID MD app. It's not available now. They're working on it. But what they're doing is offering drive-through testing in, in those underserved communities, so people don't have to leave their cars. They're going out to the neighborhoods for people who don't have cars to reach them to get them tested because they are the people who are serving you your food, who are restocking the shelves. So if those service workers get sick, then we all get sick, right? Um, So she definitely spoke about the different subgroups of people who should be more cautious and concerned. Um, And we talked about how testing capacity has been so low and why it's important to ramp up testing. So I don't wanna just paint a broad stroke and say that as a country, we don't care about black people, but I will say that there are people who are out there doing the work to support these communities. And that's what our show does. Every single episode, we talk to various experts who are advocates for various issues. Um, and it just really makes me proud to see people out here doing the work for their communities. You know, Brianne, Dr. Jacquer, she's a black woman who founded this app um, and is out here on the ground every day testing her people. Um, we did an episode on black homeownership rates. So, um, and how is creating a wealth gap. And I interviewed, I think his name, I know his name is Stephen, but I forgot his last name. I think it may be Stephen Smith. He founded the Home Pathway Project program. And his story was amazing to me because he used to be a mortgage banker. And he kept seeing that the black people were failing, the black people weren't able to get homes. Um, so he flipped the script. He said, no, I'm not gonna be a mortgage banker anymore. I'll be a real estate agent and I will help people build their credit so they can't afford to buy a house. I'll help people look for the right type of house that's going to appreciate over time so they can build their wealth. So it hasn't really inspiring. Like our show just isn't all stormy clouds. It's not all (laughs) America sucks. (laughs) We do have nice action items at the end of every every episode. Um, And we're highlighting all of these advocates who are doing great work and giving you places to donate your time and your money so you can support these issues. Absolutely. America is a nuanced and complex country with a very rich history. So just to make any of those statements, we understand that there are layers to this. There's levels and layers to this. America cannot be explained in a simple statement. And and being a black woman in America and understanding all of the identities that come with that, um, it can take a while before the cognitive dissonance goes away when for me, when it's like, 
if I embrace my identity as an American, because that means different things to different people. So speaking on identity, when it Mm -hmm. comes to you and your your passion for the topic of eugenics, you said that you grew up in Alabama. I did. Yeah. So um, and you currently are still in the South. As a black woman in America, and even as a black girl, if you can remember, did you have access to quality medical health care growing up so that you knew how to take care of your body? Yeah, so that's kind of a tricky subject, and that relates to the third episode in the um, Reproductive Justice series. So we're covering crisis pregnancy centers. Have you heard of those? So uh, I've heard of overall. I don't know if that's a a specific name. Is that the same as Planned Parenthood down there? No, completely different. Okay. So Planned Parenthood, so I'll compare them to you and just kind of give you a little preview. Planned Parenthood, if you walk in that door, they will say, hey, what do you need? We can help you with everything from a pap smear to, you know, a breast examination. We can give you an abortion if you want. We can give you birth control. They have actual doctors there. But a crisis pregnancy center is ultimately a, quote, fake clinic. Their goal is to basically talk women out of having abortions and to lie to them, deceive them, to carry their babies to full term. And oftentimes they pretty much just neglect them after the woman, after the the child is born. So my experience in Alabama with reproductive decisions, um, I'd say it was kind of the norm growing up in the Bible Belt. My mom never used the word sex, vagina still doesn't to this day. I had to lie to get birth control as a teenager. I knew that I was going off to college. I wanted to have sex and I wanted to protect myself. And it was just something that you didn't speak of. So I had to lie to my mom and say that my cramps were just unbearably bad. Um, And luckily my gynecologist, my first gynecologist, I'll never forget her, Dr. Katie Marsh. She figured out a way to get my mom out of the room. And she said, hey, real quick, how many partners have you had? What are your plans? What do you need? Let's talk about it. And we just had a straight, quick conversation. She said, hey, look, I'll get you this birth control. This is what you need to do to keep yourself safe. Um, Here, I'll sneak you some condoms. Here's step A through B, um, A through Z or whatever. And that wasn't common in Alabama. People never really spoke about sex. Um, just now that I'm married, all of a sudden my mom wants me to have a baby. And I told her one day, jokingly, I said, mom, well, you never taught me about sex. So (laughs) I don't know how you expect me to just have a child all out of nowhere. And she laughed at me and I said, mom, I'm serious. I don't know how just suddenly overnight you want to pretend that I'm just some perfect, not saying that virgins are perfect, but she just wanted to think that I'm some innocent young virgin and I've never had sex until the day that I got married. And first of all, like if that were true and I were a virgin when I got married, it was still her responsibility to let me know what to expect, right? Yeah. And I don't want to put all the blame on my mom because like I said, I did grow up in the Bible Belt, but growing up in an atmosphere where you couldn't talk about those things and where you didn't really feel comfortable with your body and your sexuality, that's made me more of an advocate for reproductive justice issues. I volunteer with this group called Texas Handmaids. Um, We write postcards, we protest the governor. Um, I don't know if you've seen us, but the the Handmaid's Tale book. And I was gonna ask you, do you watch that show? And I was going to ask you, what are your thoughts on life imitating art? So let's, what are your thoughts on The Handmaid's Tale? Like, yeah, so. 
I love the book. I love the sequel and I love the show so much so that I joined an advocacy group where we dress up as handmaids and we protest as a handmaid. Um, and it's great because I, I call it the easiest form of protest because you literally just stand there and your body is the protest. Um, and the organization is great. We for pride last summer, we packaged thousands of safe sex condom packets and little info booklets. And we passed those out at the pride parade. Um, we've dropped them off at high schools and band caps, et cetera. Um, so it's really, <laughs> that show is crazy because those things are happening now. You know, it, it's just crazy to see how life imitates art. And it's a little scary um, because there's a possibility that Roe v. Wade could be overturned, you know? Like, we're working closer to that every single day with these heartbeat bills. I was going to ask you, like, can we go a little bit deeper into that? So for people who are not aware, for those of us who don't necessarily have to think about our access to our control of our reproductive rights, for those of us not involved in the fight for reprodu reproductive justice, You've mentioned heartbeat bills. Mm -hmm. They are coming. They've been signed. We've seen right. protests in some states, but not all states. What is a heartbeat bill and why is it important for us to know that? Yeah, so I just Googled to make sure yeah. I have my facts straight because I want to repeat again, I am no expert on this. I'm just someone who's passionate about it. That's both um, of us, Quay. We both are black okay, women right. in this world and we have right. our experiences. Our experiences are real. They are real. Sure. So just like you talked about your experiences growing up in the Bible Belt, real quick, when I moved to Chicago, there was a Planned Parenthood on the corner of the busy intersection. I was walking down the street with my friends and an outreach worker from Planned Parenthood came out to us and she talked to us. She said, can I talk to you about your body? I was 12 mm -hmm. on that day and that's when I decided I was going to become a sex therapist. I oh, went to her. Yeah. She was a safe resource. She told yeah. us about, like, we did condom demos. And, yes, I was young. But it's just yeah. like I always say, you don't want your kids to play in the street. Nobody wants their toddlers playing in the street. But you will teach your toddler how to cross the street because you know there will be a day where your child has to cross the street yeah. and you are not there. So, no, right. do you want the baby playing in the street? Absolutely not. But I guarantee you, as soon as that baby can start walking, you are going to show them best practices. This is how you approach an intersection. You look both ways. You don't dart between cars. We need to keep that same energy when it comes to protecting our kids and their bodies. And by when I say our kids, I mean young people and their bodies. So, sure. sorry for all of that, but just to say, I don't even want you to try to speak from like an expert. I just really want okay. you to speak from. I just wanted to make that clear. Yes. So I don't want anyone to take anything I say as Bible or law. No, but, um, no, but yes. <laughs> tell okay, us so, why. So heartbeat bills ban abortion very early on in pregnancy. So um, most, a lot of them say you can't have an abortion or take the abortion pill after six weeks. Um, and as someone who is currently trying to conceive, that's crazy. Yeah. Because a lot of women don't even know that they're pregnant until after they've missed the second period. Yeah. You know, it could be up six weeks before people even notice that something is different about their bodies. Yeah. Because pregnancy symptoms and menstruation symptoms are very much the exact same thing. And can feel like flu symptoms. And can feel like flu symptoms. It's a lot happening. So It's a lot happening, yeah. 
So a woman may not be able, she may not find, a person who is pregnant may not find out until week eight. Right. And they've gone to their doctor and the doctor is like. Yeah. And a most pregnancy tests can't give you a positive until after that first missed period. So you, you ovulate two weeks later, you have your period. One week later, we're already on our fourth week now, and you're noticing, oh, wow, I don't have a period. The pregnancy test may not even show you as pregnant at that point, but they're saying a week from now, you can't have an abortion, and and that's just crazy. So to go back to the um, our episode 10 that we're working on on crisis pregnancy centers, um, well, another thing that's happening is these CPCs are remaining open while places that provide abortion care like Planned Parenthood and other places are being forced to close during the pandemic. Yeah. So, wow. An easy way to generalize is anti-choice clinics. So I actually went to one while I was in college. Fun fact. Um, I, it's crazy now. Now that I know how ovulation works, like I was nowhere near pregnant. Like it was such a small chance that I was actually pregnant. But I didn't know that you'd get a pregnancy test for a dollar at the Dollar Tree. <laughs> and it's just as, uh, it is just as good. <laughs> yeah. As I didn't want to spend twenty dollars on a pregnancy test because I was a broke college kid. So I went to one of these like pregnancy centers because they look like regular gynecology offices and they offer you free pregnancy tests. All I wanted was to go get a free pregnancy test. And they they I peed in a cup or whatever. They made me watch multiple videos. They gave me pamphlet pamphlets on um, uh, not abortion. They gave me pamphlets on adoption and wanted to talk to me about Jesus and gave me all of these different scriptures. Was this yeah, in Texas? This was in Alabama. Okay, so this is in Alabama. Okay. University graduate. Yeah. So, and that's what these crisis pregnancy centers do. And that's why we're making an episode on it because they are getting government funding. And there's not real doctors there. If I wanted a pap smear there, I couldn't get one. If I needed an actual exam, if I were pregnant, I couldn't get that. Um, so it's not real health care. And they're parading as doctor's offices. And they're so manipulative in the way that they market and the way that they position themselves. Um, just Google crisis pregnancy center fake clinic. And you'll see photos of a real gynecology office next door to a fake clinic with similar names, they'll use the same color. And their only goal is to just like, talk you out of using contraceptive contraception and talk you into carrying that baby full term, even if you don't want it. So do they want, so, because this is also one of the many conundrums when we talk about reproductive rights in this country, Viagra is covered all the time, <laughs> but you know, got to jump through hoops to get, birth control and plan B, what happens if they do succeed in changing the mind of a person who is pregnant? So what happens if the person decides to move forward? Do they connect this person with resources? Do they have parenting classes? They actually do because they want you to carry the baby. But oftentimes, once the baby is actually past the point, like once you're too far to where you can't get an abortion, there are reports of these CPCs just kind of leaving these women to fend for themselves. But I will say that the ones that we have here in my neighborhood, Pflugerville Pregnancy Resource Center, they actually do have lockers with diapers and clothes. They Most of them will help you out if you do decide to carry your baby to term. But there have been several reports of just 
being cut cold. You know, they'll just cut all ties with you once you're past that point, point because they only have one goal, and that is to take your choice away from you and to make sure that baby is born, which is crazy to go back to episode eight where we talked about the forced sterilizations. You know, these same groups of people, they didn't want women on welfare and women with mental disabilities to have these babies. So it's not about the children. They don't, they don't care about the, the children. It's about taking women's choices away from them. It's about having control over our bodies. Um, and that's the thing that just makes me so angry. <laughs> that's the thing that makes me want to, you know, write these postcards and call up our senators and lawmakers and try to make change and support these organizations. How did they move from, um, coercion and forced sterilization to trying to get this same population to to carry the yeah so here i actually have a direct quote from the book here because it is really interesting how things evolve we right, moved from yeah, forced sterilizations from a group that we felt was feeble-minded and should not reproduce to now controlling people's rights to reproduce, making yeah, so you have my to questions to Joanna Shum, the author of this book. And here's an exact quote from that. So North, this is only speaking to North Carolina exactly because that's what the book was focused on. But North Carolina's history with, with birth control, sterilization, and abortion is unusual. Not only did the state introduce the first state-supported birth control program, it initiated more state-sponsored sterilizations per capita than any other state. And it was among the first states to pass a voluntary sterilization law and to reform its abortion law in the 1960s. How crazy is that? Very. <laughs> like, very. What a, what a um, as Doja Cat would say, a full 180. <laughs> Legit a full 180. <laughs> Completely out of nowhere. So Joanna kind of just explained that it was these women, women's rights movements. It was the feminist movement. You know, the 70s was a crazy time. It was. <laughs> 70s was a crazy time. So we can we can thank those groups. Um, they weren't intersectional back then, but they were fighting for reproductive justice. So and then the, you know, Roe v. Wade making it to the Supreme Court, that definitely changed the law. So um, choice was more available as a result of Roe v. Wade. Um, and just people feet on the ground, calling, protesting, um, and changing minds, really. <sighs> Seriously, America. Thank you so <laughs> much, Quay, for talking us through that and talking about um, the origin story of your podcast, how you all have these amazing conversations, and your passion for reproductive justice. Um, are there any organizations, because you mentioned a few, uh, like you said, yeah. this topic can be really heavy, especially for people who either are traumatized and triggered by it or mm -hmm. people who did not know that it existed. And now that they do, they want to do something about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Who are some of the people yeah, that have so been doing this? Of course you can support Planned Parenthood. That's always an easy one um, and always my first go-to. I have been a donor for Planned Parenthood. Um, another organization is the Yellowhammer Fund. Um, there's an organization, I don't know the exact website, but it's exposedfakeclinics.com, I think. But just Google exposed fake clinics. Um, they're an advocacy organization where they basically just leave honest reviews on these fake clinic sites and try to pressure them to change their verbiage and their marketing so they're not being deceptive. 
Um, and I also want to point out that our show, this is just the one series that we're working on right now. There's a lot of other topics that we talk about that are really great ones that Taylor would be upset if I didn't mention because she is super passionate about them. We have the Black homeownership rates episode and the black and white wealth gap um, and how that's continuing to spread. There's a really great episode on gerrymandering, which is frustrating because Taylor and I hated that episode <laughs> when we produced it, but it's turned out to be one of the episodes with the most views. Um, and we pretty much just, we speak to um, the Democratic National Redistricting Committee mm -hmm. about how Republicans have strategically uh, carved out their districts so they will win basically mm. they'll either spread out all the democrats to multiple districts or they'll pack all the democrats into one district so um they can't win in other districts so that's a really good one um one that's kind of timely right now is our food insecurity episode i learned a lot um taylor did a really great interview with this organization called food forward what they do is they connect farmers and organizations with surplus food. Um, so restaurants who may be, right now we're dealing with this a lot, where farmers just have a surplus of tomatoes and corn because restaurant industries are ultimately shut down. They're not getting as much traffic. They connect that surplus food with food banks and families who need that food. Um, and the episode was pretty much just highlighting how as a nation, we have so much food that goes to waste. And we also have so many families who are hungry and who need that food. So those amazing organizations like Food For who are doing the work to connect those two uh, groups of people. Um, but yeah, so if you just go to any one of the episodes on our website, seriouslyamericashow.com, um, what we'll give you is a transcript of the episode. You can listen to the episode, but then there's also links to all the different organizations that we mentioned. And then there's a little checklist of action items that you can take. So you can donate your time, your money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Taylor's really great about the action items. Shout out to Taylor. Oh, I love Taylor. She is the best. Like, give you a friend like Taylor. Come I on. literally can just text her and say, hey, girl, let's do this. And she's no questions asked. Like, let's go to Puerto Rico. Let's make a podcast. Yes. <laughs> And she's just been such a great um, partner to do this with because she's come with so many great ideas to just supplement the show and make it so much better. The action items is one of her um, initiatives that has turned out to be really, really popular because you do listen to this and you think, man, like, what the heck? What can I do as a single individual person? And she just lays it out there right there for you. The power of partnership. And I think that's oh, one of the, the beautiful things, the power of partnership. And as you were talking about uh, the action items and connecting the dots, this mm -hmm. country will really, sh during times of tragedy, America really, Americans really show out. We really support each other. The oh, yeah. collaborative spirit is there. And we really do look out for one another. So I want to say that too. Again, this country has quite the history quite the nuance but when yeah. we show up and show out for each other and take care of each other some amazing things happen and you did that for me by joining me on my podcast so thank you for showing thank up you. and collaborating thank with you me, for me. Uh, thank the, you for trusting me to, to remember yes <laughs> yes because i wanted to hear from you you know like there's so many people that have these creative ideas and this power and it's like so what do we do with that how do we take all of our life experiences, everything that we've been through, and share some of that so that other people can learn, other people can grow, and we can talk about it? So I will always, my heart will always go out to another creative. So thank you.
Yes. All right, y'all. This is Danielle signing off with Quay, and we will talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. Have a good day. All right, superstars, we are all out of time. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe, share, review the episodes, tag a friend, talk to me. Visit DanielleMoneyham.com and follow me on social media to stay connected. Your support means the world to me. So thank you for helping my dreams come true. A major lesson that I learned, that I continue to learn, is that although you will experience dark moments in your journey, you can be the light. You have more power than you know. Until we meet again, shine bright.